Hello, everybody. It is Monday, January 23rd, 2017, and this is the Monday Morning Analyst. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you so much for joining me. Three parts. Oh, by the way, I'm Luke Thomas. You know that already. Uh, three parts to this podcast. We talk about an overview of some of the weekend's work. We go into detail on something else, and then we look at what's coming up in the week ahead. So let us waste no time. There's only really one thing to get to, Bellator 170 over the weekend. Now, this was in many ways a big success. As I stand to you, or as I sit before you now, we don't have the ratings just yet, but we have some other figures. Uh, this took place at the Forum in Inglewood, California. It had an attendance of just south of 13,000, 12,971 for a gate of 1.134 million. So not bad, certainly by Bellator standards and how well they did. Certainly, certainly seemed to be a lot of buzz online about it. It was headlined by Tito Ortiz taking on Chael Sonnen. So, what do we say about this? Okay, let's do something. Normally on this podcast, what we do is we look at people who've done something in a really excellent way, and we try to like give them a little shine, talk about it. Sometimes we talk about things that go poorly as well, but something usually exemplary, if not extraordinary. In this particular case, the big stuff coming out of this um, event was certain concerns that the main event was fixed. Now, this is really interesting to me because this is the second time involving a Bellator submission in a main event that we've seen this. Now, the first time was Kimbo versus Ken Shamrock. Now, that fight did not end in a submission, but it was the submission that almost ended it with Ken Shamrock that had a lot of people wondering if something was up. Now we have it again. This time the submission ultimately closed the show, but it was that and then something else, certainly a way in which the fight took place that has certain people saying, including very credible speakers, saying uh, that something was bothersome to them. Let me say something up front. In the second segment, we're going to go through the fight. I actually get to have some slides, some sort of stop motion, and then some straight-up footage that we'll be able to use to sort of talk about what went wrong technically in that fight for Chael Sonnen. And I'll make the case by looking at the video there that there's just not a lot of evidence to conclude that something is amiss or that you can outright declare that the fight is fixed because those are two actually fundamentally different claims. One is to say, I don't know what happened here, but it doesn't look normal. And another one is to say, this is fixed. Um, but let's start from just sort of talking about this and why I don't think those claims are, are in many ways responsible, but certainly... Um, uh, the most probable outcome. So let's start with just a basic statement. Is it possible that that fight was fixed? Yes, it is possible. Uh, is it possible that it could have been fixed between the two fighters and uh, Bellator had nothing, no knowledge of it? Yes, that is very possible as well. It is at least conceivable for any fight, this one or any other one you've seen, uh, that it could have been fixed. That is always possible. But the question is, is it probable? Is it likely? Is that a fair conclusion to draw? And I think that's where ultimately I can't follow. Can I rule it out? I cannot rule it out. Um, but I could say that about just about any fight. Here's what we ultimately know. Number one, um, I spoke to Andy Foster, who is the executive director of the California State Athletic Commission. And I asked him, you know, forget about this fight, just in the abstract. Imagine you had again, in this case you don't, but imagine you had incontrovertible proof like documents, money transfers between accounts, like some hard evidence that this was going to take place and then the fighters and or the promoter were involved. Let's ask in the abstract. Imagine you had that. 
what would the penalty be? And his answer was basically the nuclear option. Like if that were to happen, forget about this particular event, but let's say they had event, you know, they had receipts and they had notes and they had text messages that all confirmed this. And then the fight was suspicious. They had hardcore conclusive proof. They would do the nuclear option. They would probably, t- uh, almost certainly, his, his answer was, I think they would use the fullest extent of the power of the commission to affect them. Banning for life. If there was any possible way to get any kind of criminal matters involved, they uh, criminal prosecution involved, that they would certainly revoke anyone's license, like including the promoters. Like you get it. Like they they would they would go as far as they possibly could. Is there a law on the books against fight fixing per se? There is not, but there are laws against sports bribery, and those carry up to seven years imprisonment or more. Um, So just consider that. Here's the other part about it. We're not talking about a low-rent promoter. We're not even talking about a medium promoter. We're not talking about a promoter. Even though Don King and Bob Arum were sort of affected by innuendo um, in the turn of the century with... You know, not allegations of fight fixing, but sort of being close to the matter. Certainly, top rank during Operation Matchbook, having their offices raided. Although they were all, you know, Bob Arum was never implicated in anything. Um, we're talking about Viacom. We're talking about an extraordinarily powerful company, a public company. You know, you might still say, okay, you know, what if the two guys individually decide to, you know, make something of it on their own? We'll get to that in just a second, but I don't see how this benefits Bellator in any way to do it. First of all, it would be not merely bad for them if this happened. It would literally be ruinous. And for a company in the place that Viacom is, where they're in the middle of a transition, certainly uh, in terms of leadership, as well as uh, technological changes to their business model generally, this would be extraordinarily idiotic for them to do. That doesn't mean that they didn't, but it certainly gives them a strong incentive not to. So I think we could preclude them from this conversation. It makes no sense. Moreover, why would they do it for Tito Ortiz, the outgoing fighter who the viewers already turned in on, tuned in on Saturday night? They were already there. Win or lose, they were going to watch Tito Ortiz. Um, if they were going to do it, it would be good for ratings. They would have it go longer. And you have Chael Sonnen, a guy who just signed a six-fight deal, which he said he intends to honor. Now, I think a lot of people will be ultimately forgiving of this because Chael Sonnen is a great salesman of himself and his ability to um, you know, project a certain image. But if you're going to have a guy lose who you're going to be with for a lot longer, um, he didn't just lose. He lost badly, and he lost quickly. It makes no sense to set up the guy who's leaving, who everyone was already tuned in for anyway. Um, so the parts of this theory just don't even really make sense. Also, they're like, well, he held the choke too long. Well, the choke wasn't too tight. Well, which one is it? He held a choke that wasn't too tight very long. But um, in any case, none of this is evidence to suggest that it couldn't happen or that it didn't happen, but that it makes the likelihood of it very, 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 very low. It just, it would be so financially ruinous for them, potentially uh, legally problematic over a guy who's leaving, who everyone tuned in for and paid for anyway, this just doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, again, so let's, if you just preclude them, could those two guys have done it? I suppose I can't rule that out. But then this is the same thing we come to with all conspiracy theories. Where is the evidence, right? Okay, you can say the fight wasn't all that you know normal that we're accustomed to seeing. And part of that I'll agree with. But in order to make a claim about fixing... You have to have real evidence for it. In certain cases and other uh, moments where a commission was suspicious of fight fixing, they've withheld the purses. 
I mean, they've taken action to prevent these kinds of things, or they at least have investigated afterwards. You've seen none of that here. We don't know, or I should say, there's no evidence of any kind of money trail. There's no evidence of any kind of collusion. There's no evidence of, there's nothing substantiating this beyond the fact that people are saying, hey, this looked like unusual on television. And I'll admit, parts of this do look a little bit like, what is, this is weird. But none of that is really evidence. That's not evidence of fight fixing. That's merely evidence of something being a little bit outside the norm. There's a number of explanations about uh, ultimately what that could be. So whenever you make a claim about something about the world, hey, look, this match was fixed. Um, you need to have strong, strong evidence for it. And then there's just sort of the particulars of the fight itself. Everyone's like, what about the hand tapping that Tito does? Why would Tito give a signal that is universally recognized in mixed martial arts that every fan from the casual to the hardcore basically knows what it means and he would do it with the free hand that everyone can see versus doing something else that they can't. Ooh, my lights are on fire here. There we are. Interesting. I started to smell something here. I was like, oop, that doesn't smell good. Um... So the point being is, if you really want to conceal things, there'd be a better way to do it. If you really wanted to uh, make sure you didn't get caught because the penalties would be so severe, there's better ways to do it. So maybe Chael Sonnen did it on his own and Tito doesn't even know about it. Maybe that's the case. But when that's ever happened in other fights where, if you look at the history of fight fixing, let's say in boxing, there's usually been some sort of organized crime element or some sort of sports betting issue and then, literally, the FBI would be involved. And I don't... Uh, to suggest that that's in play here without any further evidence, to me, is just really irresponsible. It's just irresponsible. Again, at this juncture, could I rule it out? No, I suppose I can't rule it out, but I really have no reason to rule it in. Um, there's, It's just we, totally, at this juncture, uh, improbable. If someone presents further evidence... Um, with documentation outside of this bout, that there's a reason to take that seriously, then we can reconsider. But I think, to me, there's actually a real explanation for this. To me, number one, I think we have mocked Tito Ortiz so long that the idea of thinking of him as a good grappler is anathema to certain people, and it shouldn't be. He's a big guy, he's a strong guy, and this is a guy who competed previously at ADCC. He is a good grappler. He nearly submitted Machida with a triangle. The guy can do a lot of things. You've just never really seen him pass guard. That's the first one. Number two... Uh, Chael Sonnen, this is not a normal weight class for him. Number three, he hadn't competed in three years. And number four, I think, look, he had talked about training being harder now that he is clean, or ostensibly clean, and that he didn't necessarily physically look like the version of himself that we were accustomed to seeing. Um, perhaps there, he underestimated the challenge of what it would be like once he got in there live. Uh, there's a lot of other ways to look at this and say, forget what we'll show in the slides, it just was a very uninspired performance from Chael Sonnen. And you're talking about a guy who's had a lot of bizarre finishes in his career, leaving his arm in for no particular reason and screaming against Paulo Filio, tapping and then claiming he didn't. Um, the weird spinning back fist against Anderson Silva is another one. Um, that how the triangle he lost to against Anderson Silva in the first one. This guy has a habit at the end of fights of just sort of bizarrely letting it go. Um... Uh, I'm not going to necessarily call him a front runner. I think he's had fights where he has fought back out of tough first rounds or tough challenges or deficits. But it's also true that in the history of Chael Sonnen's career, um, for all the ups and the downs of it, if you look at some of the downs, there's just this commonplace, terrible judgment mixed with, uh, in terms of like fight IQ, mixed with a bizarre collapse all of a sudden. 
I think this is part and parcel of that in addition to all those other factors, the age, the time off, Tito being bigger, Tito being stronger, Tito actually being a pretty good grappler. Those, to me, are real easy explanations, very accessible explanations that are sufficient enough to, in fact, explain the performance. I don't have to invent a charge of fight fixing for which the evidence is at best tenuous and in, in, in many cases irresponsible because there is no documentation to uh, add to that at this juncture. Um, you can explain it just by all the factors I've already listed that are all uh, visible and identifiable. So to me, it's like if you want to really go down that road, I understand that. I think to some extent, and I'll talk about this in a subsequent written piece, I think Bellator might invite this kind of scrutiny. And certainly Chael Sonnen gets you fired up for his chances. He talked about how much it meant to beat Tito Ortiz and all that stuff. But, um, but to me, it was just a really, really, really uninspired performance from him. He just didn't. He didn't fight with a lot of intensity. He didn't fight with a lot of, it looked to me, I mean, maybe there was preparation, but it didn't look like the preparation matched the performance ultimately. And and I think Tito was ready to rock, bigger, stronger, good grappler. It's very easy to explain. Uh, in the co-main event, you want to talk about technical acumen, Paul Daly defeating Brennan Ward. By the way, um, Sonnen tapped at 203 of the first round. Brennan Ward loses at 227 of the first round. Brennan Ward was getting caught with hooks. I think the hand speed of Paul Daly surprised him. He got caught with a left and a right hook. And then that, how about that, that the double knee or the you know jumping switch knee or the bicycle knee, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of different names for it. Boy, uh, unbelievable from Paul Daly. Perfect too, right? Because one of the ways this is set, is set up is that usually you want to establish distance and then you run into it. And the way you do it is you show one leg going up. And they think the attack is coming from that side. Maybe they duck. Maybe they or maybe they bob and weave. Maybe they block. Maybe they reach for it. And then ultimately, what happens is you switch it up on them, and it comes the other side, and you can crack them, man. And that's exactly what happened. Very similar to what uh, Carlos Conda did to Dong Hyung Kim. There's other ones you can mention as well. Um, but really, perfect timing. Used the spinning back elbow to set up the distance he needed, and then showed him one side, and then switched to the other at the last. I should say, at just the right amount of uh, uh, time. And, and sat him down. Hope Brennan Ward's okay. That picture of his cut looked god-awful. So, um, you know, speedy recovery to Brennan Ward, who is a guy who goes out there and puts it on the line, you know. Oh, God, what do you say about this fight? Hisaki Kato taking on Hallett Gracie. He wins 29-28 on two scorecards and 30-27 on the other. Uh, arguably one of the worst fights that's ever aired on national television, and I don't use that lightly. This was a god-awful fight. Kato is at fault because he was just simply unwilling to engage, basically, at any point. And on the other side, you have Hallett Gracie, who was using what I would call uh, rudimentary... I mean, what do you want to say? Rudimentary entries or feints, like the big Gracie stomp they used to use, where they would they would stick their front leg out and they would, like, they would like jump in, using that as, like, a range finder, as a way to, like... You know, create distance and then, uh, you know, uh, ease their entry into some kind of clinch. And he was faking it, so it wound up being these huge front leg stomps. Just absolutely god-awful. Both guys getting um, admonished by referee Jason Herzog to do more. I'll say this at the very end. Um, Kato did enough, I guess, to win the first two rounds. And maybe he was going to win the third. Um, I'll say this for, for Hallett Gracie. Once he got him down... The jiu-jitsu was really nice. He used the ability to, you know, because you had, basically you had Hisaki Kato stalling. I mean, that's what he was doing. He was just stalling. 
locking up full guard and then trying to wrap behind the head, and that's fine. But ultimately what happened was, if you're just going to do that, the guy on who you're trying to do that against, if he, especially if he's on his feet, which he eventually was, they're going to create space. And so you saw like he had the head here, the head goes further and further away, right? If your guard is tight and compact, you're strong. If your guard gets extended, it's weak, right? So, um, so what eventually happens is that I think Halleck Gracie was able to get the right knee on the inside between the legs. He used the elbow to pry open the other side, simple knee cut across pass, and then he slid his, uh, his shin over the top to take mount. And from there, he almost had a nice arm bar, too. You could see him pinning his arms back um, before um, before uh, Kate was able to get you know underhooks and stall uh, again. But it was just complete and total stalling defensively from Hisaki Kato. And, you know, I don't think Gracie is setting the world on fire. I don't know. I mean, Bellator cannot be happy with either of these guys. At least Kato has a couple of knockouts. But Gracie, I don't know what I don't know what he was doing in this one. Um, I'm sure I'm not saying he didn't train. Maybe he did, but you know we're talking about a guy who, yes, if he gets you on the ground, no doubt about it. His jujitsu, whatever else you want to say about him, it's very good. It's very slick. It's very nice. It's very technical, no doubt about it. But uh, beyond that, man, there is not much to offer there. Emmanuel Sanchez defeating Georgie Karakanian uh, via majority decision, two twenty. Excuse me, twenty eight twenty eight. 28-27, 28-27. How did that happen? Well, this is a great fight to keep in mind because um, the scoring criteria is now a little bit changed. So both judges gave Sanchez a 10-8 round, but then had to deduct a point for that knee. Should the point have been deducted for the knee? Up to you to decide. Um, I don't mind it at all. I know Emmanuel Sanchez said after the fact at the post-fight presser that he didn't feel like they were warranted, that they barely touched him. Nevertheless, why are you why are you even even remotely throwing in that direction when you know this is something people are going to be really heavily penalizing you for? And I really also feel like we are going to be at an age now where if one hand down doesn't protect you, but you have a knee down, I feel like referees are going to be like, okay, if you're going to put your knee down in modern MMA, then we're going to really we're, you know it's like uh, it's like roughing the passer in, in the NFL like. You know, if it's a if it's a legal hit, it's a legal hit. But if you're gonna hit a guy late, we're gonna hammer you for it. You know, in this particular case, we have we've already made it harder for someone to protect themselves. So if they are doing the thing to protect themselves and you still attack them, even relatively innocuously, we're gonna hammer you for it. And I, and I don't know that I'm opposed to that, to be honest. Uh, Derek, oh sorry, and then um, so so here's one thing about Emmanuel Sanchez. Georgia Caracani had a strong third round, so good for him. But the only thing about Emmanuel Sanchez, and again, I mentioned this about Sergio Pettis in his last fight, he just has, look, let's look at his record here. This is his record in Bellator, and he's fought tough guys. He's only 26, so you, don't, you can't be too angry with him. But here's are his fights in Bellator. He defeated Steven Benazak, rear naked choke, in the first round in his Bellator debut in October of 2014. Then he defeated Alejandro Villalobos via decision. Then he defeated Pat Curran, excuse me, he lost Pat Curran via decision. Then, check this out. He beats Henry Corrales, split decision. Justin Lawrence, split decision. Daniel Pineda, split decision. Loses to Daniel Weichel, split decision. Then beats Georgie Karakanian, majority decision. So he's had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Bellator fights. And he's had three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, 21, 22 rounds in Bellator. It's a lot of time, man. It's a lot of mileage. 
for a guy this young, that's good in, uh, we mentioned it last week, that's good in the sense that he's getting a lot of exposure. That is bad in the sense that, you know, it's everyone's like, he should be a better finisher, and that's true, he should, but it's not so easy to become one. I guess what I would say is, I think what I've seen from him is, and I mentioned this on my personal recap, you see him getting to fights into a little bit quicker, he's not taking as, as much time to adjust, and you see him melding his game better. What I would like to see from him is, refining his game better it's one thing to learn skills it's one thing to learn skills in two disparate areas of the game it's a third skill to then bring them to bear together right you can transition from standing to ground to whatever the case may be to the back to turtle to what to, to whatever you have to do but now another level to that is the lethality of a game and i think that's the portion of emmanuel sanchez that he's missing he is in shape he is tough he's obviously himself hard to put away um, but what he lacks is, you know, just bunkering down and getting his jiu-jitsu to a much higher level. Bunkering down and getting his striking to a much higher level. Maybe in adding in a weight routine. I don't know. I'm not his coach. Those are, those are decisions for them to make. But you see him putting the pieces together. What he's got to do is he's got to add some danger to it. And that only comes when you have really strong expertise. So he's got the ring time. He's got the melding. He's got the well-roundedness. The next stage for me is the lethality, and I'm looking to see if he can add that to his game. But otherwise, um, this is a strong performance from him. And then Derek Campos and Derek Anderson, who fought at 161 in weight. Uh, Campos beats Anderson 29-28 across the board. I basically agree with that. I thought Anderson had won the first. I thought Anderson was going to win the fight generally. He's beaten some tough guys. But Campos able to just work inside of his range a little bit better. Um had good timing on his takedowns. He is a good wrestler. I don't know how good of a fighter Derek Campos is yet. I can't declare one way or the other. Uh, he keeps improving. You know, he's had some tough losses to some good guys. But um, Derek Anderson is, a, I think, a good fighter. And Campos beating him the way that he did was, to me, you know, a fairly strong indicator of, of, of how good he can, can be. The only thing that was interesting about this was once they were in the pocket, you know, they were kind of moving and blocking. But there was no stepping out at angles. There was no fainting and then going another direction. It was just, let's take turns throwing on each other. It was very much like a kickboxing bout that you see where, in kickboxing, yes, guys set up angles. Don't, I'm not, believe me, it would be outrageous to say they don't. But a lot of times, particularly like that Dutch style, they just take turns wailing on each other. Right, standing in front and throwing different kind of hand combos. And you saw a lot of that. There wasn't a lot of moving around angles. Uh, there was some fainting. You know, there, again, there was some defense. There was some, some trunk movement. But it was only inside the pocket with, like, their feet planted. There just wasn't a lot of the Dominic Cruz fainting and ducking or Frankie Edgar where he steps out at an angle and tries to create a lane here. There wasn't any of that. So, um so there was a lot of blood being shed in that one. Very, very quickly on the prelim card, Kevin Casey becomes the first fighter to have a draw in both the UFC and Bellator. So congrats to him on that, I suppose. Uh, Curtis Melender wins. That's funny. Colleen Schneider ultimately won via Anaconda Choke at 1 minute and 30 seconds. Good for her against Chrissy Daniels. Henry Corrales defeated Cody Bollinger. KO to the body at 420 of the third round. Wow, late finish there. That's very interesting. And then Chinzo Machida defeats... Uh, Jamar Hamar Ocampo at 3.48 of the third round. Let me tell you what, man. Shinzo Machida is a very good fighter. You can see a lot of the things he does. He gets from, uh, you know, or him and Lyoto got from the same place. But uh, his grappling is, needs some work. His wrestling needs some work. And Ocampo was giving him the business on the ground for a couple of rounds. In the end, ultimately, the, the ability 
I think his cardio was better. I think Ocampo kind of sort of uh, declined as the fight went on, and I think that um, the just the accuracy and and the heavy punching basically of uh, Machida made a difference in the end. But something to pay attention to. And I know Chinzo's older, but there was a real liability exposed there. I'm not saying he got exposed, but I'm just saying. Um, his grappling is clearly not nearly as good as his striking. And I think also you could say that about Lyoto, but Lyoto definitely is not super susceptible on the ground in the way that this guy was. Okay, so with that being said, we've sort of explained in a general perspective why there is not a lot of reason to believe, in fact, very little, if any, um, and maybe in some ways even irresponsible to suggest Tito versus Chael was a work or a fixed fight uh, from the legal penalties to the incentives to all the other reasons we've just mentioned. Let's do this. Let's take a look at some of the slides. Let's take a look at some of the frames in motion. And I actually have a little bit of footage to show to talk about this to see why uh, it's a good win for Tito. It's a bad performance from Chael. And I really think that's all there is. Let's watch that now. Okay, so let's look at this the best we can. Uh, I'm not going to focus on every detail in this fight because it's really not that important. But um, first thing to notice was a single leg. on The lead leg was what? Ortiz used to get Sonnen down. It looked something about like this. Let's see what we can do here. You can see he comes in. Chael fought the hands a little late, but you can see he picks him up. He's gonna he's gonna turn here, and he's going to he should step with this one. Let's see. Yes, and he's gonna pin. He's gonna just drive his weight that way, right? So why is he gonna do that? Very simply, you create. You're here, right? pick up the leg, you put your chest on top of it like Tito's doing, and then you want to just sort of circle this way because you're creating an empty space behind you, and you sit them in the empty space like that, right? Sits them down. Okay, so here we go. So then the choke comes on. Let's jump a little bit ahead if we can. Uh, well, not so there's no choke here. There's an attempted choke, and then it's a reversal. Uh, Sonnen uses this sort of inside leg here of the single leg to flip him over. That happens a little bit later. Let's go back just a second. All right, so you see down there, he flips him over. It's not, no need to worry about the flip. So he tries to come out on top, and he can't. Uh, it's hard for me to see exactly why he can't, but basically I don't think he rolls through far enough on it. So what they basically both have to do is they both have to come to their base, which they do a little bit later. Let's watch this. They come to their base about here, right? So they come up. Tito gets to his base there. Right, and Chael's on his base there. So this is where some of the weird stuff began, or at least the allegedly weird stuff, I should say, begins to happen. This okay, let's start from here. What you're going to see is, let's, let's just sort of go through the motions here. Let's see what we see. So Sonnen switches his grip. You can see now he's got sort of like a fingered grip here. He's, In other words, he's got the grip he's going to use. He just wants to slide it around on top for that three-quarter stack. The three-quarter stack is what's going to help him get, you see him, He's still trying to control the front headlock. There, he switches. That's what he's trying to do. He's just trying to switch at the top like that. Okay? Now, to me, this is not a very tight grip yet. Especially because, like, with the fingers like that, it's really hard to get it. You usually want to have almost like your hands scissoring a little bit. This comes down on the top of the head, back of the neck, and forces the head down. If you force it far enough, they can roll or they can at least fall to a side to alleviate the pressure. So that's what that's for. But to me, like, when he's got the fingers like that, it's never really far enough. This arm needs to be much deeper. 
See how the elbow is kind of back here? That should be a little bit more, not a little bit more, it should be significantly more forward for this to work effectively. All right, and Tito comes up, right? Let's see, take a look and watch this. What you can see something that's kind of interesting from Tito here. This is not, I'm about to show you something, this is not the sequence in play for um, the, ta the, uh, the, the, the tapping that everyone was all worried about. Right? It's a different one. He tries to come up. He's going to try and sit through. You'll see this. Watch. Comes and sits through. Doesn't really work. But he's able to get closer. Probably loosens it as a consequence of doing this. You can see he's just barely holding on with the fingers here. This is not, this is really, really, really not tight at all. Okay? And watch Tito's hand here. Watch the left one. Watch what he does here. He just does that weird tap thing. Now, I don't know what that is. Is that him saying he was losing feeling in his hand? Is that some cue is, uh, for himself to get up and move? Uh, I don't really know. I don't know what that is. But here's what I do know. Watch this whole thing play out, and I want to explain why. This is weird. I'll admit weird and unusual, perhaps, is even a word you could use. But definitive of nothing, definitely. So watch. Tito, st oh, just pay attention to Chael for just a second. Okay. Now what, watch what he's going to do here. He's going to look across the back. He's going to try and see what he's got here. Here's Big John McCarthy looking. Now, also, if you wanted to signal something, wouldn't you use the hand that's much harder to see what's going on? Because he's touching Chael here with this, with this other hand. But, you know, that's how the theory goes. Apparently the theory is to use the hand everyone can see. Now watch here, look here. Tito's head is on, uh, on, forehead is on the mat. He's got a really weak grip on this three-quarter stack. Now, that's got it behind the head, but it's not really enough to snake through and get the bicep over the back of it. You definitely want this a little bit deeper. And again, you would want almost your um, to be grabbing even the top of your, your wrist on this thing, right? That's what you really would want. He's got his fingers gripped up. I'm not saying this doesn't work. I'm not saying it can't work. Just saying that's really far from optimal. So just pay attention to Chael here and watch what happens. He's going to pull him in a little bit here, but he can't really get... What you want is this head tucked underneath. You know how when Ronda Rousey does an armbar over the back, she takes one shin and puts it on the back of the head and that rolls them? It's the same kind of thing here. This on the back of the head, if you drive it deep enough, can roll them. Now what he's doing here is just to pin it long enough to get in so he can grab a bicep. right? And watch this. That's real low. That's not great. This is okay. This is okay, but it's not great. If you, you would want to be much deeper than this. You would want to have the full-on, almost where the shoulder meets the tricep behind it, and you'd want to be way on top of the bicep. He's kind of here, just at the front, and just with a couple of fingers. Look, he can't even get all the fingers over. Not saying this can't choke someone out, but it's low percentage. It's real low percentage. Now, he ultimately gets finished with a pretty low percentage choke, but I just sort of want to make a point here. Everyone's like, oh, he lets go from the tap. Watch what happens here. Tito's already done that weird tapping thing in, a, in an incident that apparently, you know, had nothing to do with anything. He's also looking to the left, so he's not getting wrenched over. This is not, this is, it's, Tito's keeping his weight down, but he's not getting, he's not really getting his neck cranked here. It's just sort of, you know, moderately being controlled. He sees there's no real choke here, right? And he, sometimes guys will start at the forearm, and then they'll push further and they'll wrench it, but he goes right to the bicep and sees there's no real choke here, right? 
watch it. He's just going to be like, okay, I'm going to see if I can wrench it up a little bit. And he can't really wrench it. Tito's sort of looking away and staying down. And the problem isn't even this hand. And look, this hand, you want this behind the head, sort of on the on the back of the crown. It's just not a tight choke. I don't know how else to tell you. And if you don't believe me, ask anybody else who is really good at Bravo chokes. I think they'll tell you, could you finish someone like this? Yes, you could, especially if they're tired, especially if they're hurt. Maybe you have just a unique way of pulling it. But this is not an ideal setup for a Bravo choke. You kind of want this on the back of their head. You want to create as much space as you can for your arms to come in and around. And to me, it's this left hand. You know, when you do a real Bravo choke, that left shoulder from the left hand, you want that, like, turning into Tito. Look how his shoulders are facing the mat. You'd almost want to see uh, Chael's chest here from that angle. That's the real way to get it, okay? So he realizes there's nothing here, so he lets it go to go back to that to see if he can wrench it down. Now, so now you had the choke not on, you know, you attempted it, I should say, and you let it go because you can clearly see there's nothing there. At least not, not enough to put someone away. He wasn't in any kind of imminent danger, and you can feel when a choke's not there. Sometimes when chokes aren't there, people still tap to him, but mm, it's just not there. So he lets it go, and Tito does this thing where he taps his own glove or whatever the hell that is, and then Chio recognizes there's, look, there's nothing here. Tito is looking to his right. He's not getting wrenched over to be to a roll. He can't get this left arm further in. The problem with it is the shoulder positioning. See how he's on both knees, shoulders down. This left arm would need to be super scooped. You have to tilt your shoulders, and there's none of that. So you can wrench with this arm all you want, but if this hand's not full all the way, it's not there. So to me, everyone's like, well, the, what about the tap? What about the tap? What about the tap? There's no choke. Now, you could say maybe Chael wasn't putting in enough of an effort. That'd be fair. Maybe Chael, in this particular way, wasn't um, his, his, um, his uh, you know, his acumen here is not good enough. Maybe you want to make that argument. Those I can believe that there wasn't a lot of effort or that the choke was just improperly applied. Sure. But I don't know what this has to do with anything. Just watch, just for one more moment, just watch Chael here just a little bit. Just watch Chael. Don't watch anybody else. All right, let's go back just a little bit further. Here we are. Just watch Chael. Don't even look at Tito. What you're going to see here is he looks at it, tries to lock it up. His left arm is not far enough. He thinks, maybe if I can squeeze behind it. And here he's kind of behind the head a little bit here. He's trying to wrench it, trying to wrench it, trying to wrench it, trying to wrench it. And here it's not so bad. It's not behind it, but see it falls off. See how loose it is? It just kind of falls off the back of the head. Just watch Chael. Don't watch Tito. Switches back to the three-quarter stack to see if he can make it happen. And he's just not really, it's just not there. Keep watching Chael. Don't watch Tito. And he lets it go. Now, if you weren't paying attention at all to, to Tito, you'd say that's an entirely understandable thing that happened. There's nothing fishy about that. Again, I'm not saying that the Tito's taps or whatever the hell they are, make a whole lot of sense. What I am saying is you can explain Chael's actions merely by looking at him. He attempts a choke with an improperly placed arm, tries to wrench it, it's not there, tries to go back to the three-quarter stack to set up something further, has loose grips on it, had a loose grip on it when he already put it on underneath and then shifted it out to the neck. It's, it, 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 there's just nothing there. You don't need Tito to explain any kind of change in the behavior or the movement of Chael Sonnen. Let's fast forward. 
Okay, here we are just a few seconds later. And watch what Chael does. He's going to sit for a guillotine here. You got uh, Tito pulling on the on the outside arm to give his you know room some space. Some, and he sits. But what does he do? He sits basically to the wrong side, sort of. Let's see what he does. He locks up this. No, sorry, no, he doesn't. He actually sit, correct. Let me let me correct that. He sits to the right, the correct side. He sits in on this side. He would want to have this one, and then that leg would either need to be over the top or have this hook controlling this. Tito realizes there's nothing there, puts this hand in to stop that leg from catching him, and then jumps across to the other side of the body on a cartwheel. Doesn't quite get it. Chael, in fact, stops him and hooks him with that leg, and then that brings him here. So then they, they go from here. So now we're in half guard on the wrong side. Why? You want to have your body on the other side of the guillotine. That's how you stop it. So Chael actually sat to the right side, but just didn't create a blocking mechanism. Let's jump forward just a little bit. Okay, so here we are. What's going to happen? Let's just watch. I can use the footage from this part. All right, what's Chael going to do? He, he, there's no guillotine here, right? It's on the opposite side. You got nothing going on here. It's just going to be basically mechanically impossible to choke someone from here. Not totally impossible, but basically impossible. Tito knows it, doesn't want to exert a whole lot of energy, and just sort of pushes on the elbow, just waits a second, postures up a little bit, and, wait, and you can see how loose it is, and he just sticks his head out. All right, so you can see like the discoloration on Tito's head that there is, you know, there was pressure being applied there, but whatever the case may be. So let's just watch this and go forward. All right, what does he do? This is a super loose half guard. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, slight hook here, but you're no, there's no like crossed triangle underneath from Chael. So let's just watch what happens here. All right, switches his base. Go back and watch it one more time. Tito's base is forward and flat. He is going to switch his base. Now his base is facing this direction, which this is the Demi and Maya, and he's got his head wrapped up top. So this is child's play at this point. You have nothing hooking here. You've switched your base, and you've got their head wrapped. They are yours to be toyed with at this point. So this is real simple. This is what Demi and Maya does to everybody once he switches his base. You just push on the knee where nothing's hooking and slide yours right out which is exactly what he's going to do. And there's no real defense to it from this point. Hand goes up. Watch him. Pushes it down. Look at him. Live toes. So the hips are driving in here. And he just steps out. There's no defense. Now once he gets here, Chael does kind of the right thing a little bit. He rolls immediately. And that's a decent bridge. Look at that bridge. That's a nice arc there. He's on the shoulder. It's not terrible. Plus, this is a bigger dude on top. You'd ultimately want to be on your head if at all possible. That could be hard on the neck. And when you've got someone that size on top of you, not so easy to do. And But the thing I've always told about is if you can't so, – so look what happens here. He tries to roll to get his hips to turn, and it doesn't work. So he ultimately just sort of goes back down from here. Right? That's what happens. But this is the interesting part to me. When that happens to you, you got to go side to side. So – so what happens is you just go to one side and you roll and then you just come back flat. It's not going to work. You got to go to the other side immediately. You have to think about mount as like you're being electrocuted and you you are going to continue to be electrocuted until you get them off. So you have to go side to side to side to side. Just like in passing, you can't just go to one side. They'll stop it. You have to fake to one side and go to another or fake to one side, then fake to the other, then fake to the other side. Like it's you have to go side to side to side. He doesn't here. And you see he kind of sits up. Tito now has the kind of mount where if it's a low mount like this, that means he's using his hips to drive down to keep Son in flat. 
Okay. But he has... Sonnen has both underhooks here, or at least the opportunity to have both underhooks. Yep, look at that. Sort of closes off on him. And there's a few shots here. Let's sort of fast forward through that. I want to go to the other... The other... Uh, oh, don't want to skip that. Okay, so he rolls again to the other side. This time he's able to turn his hips over. So now his hips are flat to the mat, but it's such a slow roll that Tito just takes the back. And the interesting part to me about that is if you're going to roll that far and you feel like someone's going to take your back, then you turn the other way, not to roll all the way over the other way, but just enough to push on this so you can capture half guard underneath, then work for full guard, and then work for um, you know um, submission or getting to your back, or I should say, standing to your feet. And maybe Sonnen was like, I'll do that, but I don't want to be, I could do that rather, but I don't want to be underneath Tito's ground and pound. Maybe that's it, I don't know. But this is a big error by uh, um, um, Chael. So let's just watch this ending sequence here. Look at this. Now his ankles are crossed. Some people were talking about that. People were like, you can get submitted when you cross your ankles. I mean, yes, I've seen it in jiu-jitsu a fair amount. I've really never seen it in MMA. Um, I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but it doesn't happen to high-level guys, even if your ankles are crossed. So whatever. Not the biggest deal in the world. Y yes, you're not supposed to cross your ankles because you can't get submitted, but you get the idea. So let's watch this choke a little bit here. So this is not a great choke, but not a terrible one at this point. It's not fully locked on either. I just want to show something here. So if you see here, this is nothing there. It's a little bit of pressure up top, but it's not a whole lot. What you would want to do if your chael is, there's nothing, this hook underneath the arm is preventing him from fully getting his uh, back flat to the mat. But if your chael, the way to break this is get your back and shoulders flat to the mat. Because that way you would kill the choke. What, what, what Tito wants, and you can see him flexing his lats here, what, you, what he wants is to have his chest directly on the back of Chael Sonnen to match that up. One little note here. Watch this. I noticed this the second time I watched it. All right, or maybe the second or third. This is the hook that's preventing Tito, excuse me, Chael from getting out. Now, what he could do is sort of slide over a little bit, but he's, it's just easier said than done. All right? So he goes to wrap the hand, and he pulls on it a little bit, and he gets it. Now, watch what he does here. This is a really weird thing that he does that I just don't quite understand. Tito's going to use, let's see. Watch, he sits up here. I'm sorry, forget Tito for a second. Chael sits up. Look at this. There is space now here. This is very dumb. I don't know why he did this. I don't know why he did this. You would never want to sit up like this and create space for, between you and them. He, If you notice closely, he kind of keeps his jaw down a little bit. I'm trying to talk like he would be doing it. He tries to keep his jaw in place so that he never sits up too far. But he sits up a little bit and creates room. Tito scoops his head behind it. See, his jaw is still on, on the neath under, like, he, he hasn't given up his jaw. He didn't sit his jaw up and then try to sit it back down. He kept his jaw in play. But, as he tries to corkscrew back in, now Tito's got behind the head a little bit, sits up on an elbow so he can have room for his head to come out, goes to the bicep, goes to the top of the hand. Now, this is the same thing that Kimbo and Shamrock did, or I should say Shamrock did to Kimbo. You know, whenever you put a hand on top of the head, they can just reach up and grab it, which is exactly what he's going to do, I believe, right? Unless he just gives it up. Let's see. Yeah, no, he goes to grab it. He pulls it, right? Tito follows. Lat's engaged. And then look at him. He's, he's being discolored here. But he's kind of off to the side, right? So they're kind of back to chest, but not exactly. This is still a pretty tight-ish choke. 
and let's watch how this finishes. His face is getting scrunched up too. So that's a pretty tight choke. You can see his neck is straining, lats engaged. It's more just like a face jaw crunch, something like that. He goes to fight the low hand to create some room. Gives up at that point. He gets turned a little bit, goes underneath the elbow. I'm watching like you are. You can see him grimacing. I'm sure it's tight. There's no high hand to grab. This, now this is just, there's no hand fighting here. No hand fighting. And look at the space behind the head. Now, understand you don't want to, like, roll your head down to the back because that would just create room for either a mount, a remounting, or something. But uh, it just instinctually wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to do that, to just sort of put your chin up. Um but it's just sort of weird, like his ear is in the chest of Tito. Like, I'll be honest, this is not, you know, we talked about the Bravo choke that um, Sonnen let go of. You know, jujitsu's funny. Sometimes you need to have a choke just right for it to work, and sometimes you don't, and they work. And it's a very difficult explanation for this. Here's what I would say. What is the best explanation of all this, in addition to things I've already mentioned about incentives and Bellator and cost and potential legal penalties. It's to me that this was not this was not a strong performance from Chael. And I don't mean that merely in like technical application, but I, I don't I don't I didn't see him fight with a ton of ferocity here. Um and this is a guy who's made, as we noted before, this is a guy who's made a lot of bad errors in big fights, the spinning back fist against Anderson Silva, leaving his arm in against Paulo Filio and you know, did he scream, did he tap? No no one knows. And he's just had a bunch of these before. So like in one sense this is like completely understandable. On the other hand, like it just looks like to me that I'm sure he wants to fight again and I'm sure he he will, and I do expect a better performance next time. I think a lot of this is just everyone clowning Tito for many years and forgetting that he's actually pretty strong and pretty good. Um, but I think, to me, the best explanation here is that I just didn't see Chael Sonnen compete with a ton of ferocity. It just wasn't there, where it's not even clear, like, what is choking the right side of the neck of Chael Sonnen? It's not the bicep here. The bicep is kind of on the face. Now, I'm sure this is tight, and I'm sure this hurts, and I'm sure that that other right elbow is sort of tucked behind everything, and it's a nice compressed squeeze. But this shouldn't be enough to submit someone of his level like this, unless you're just not competing with a ton of ferocity. And, and I don't know that to be true 100%. I'm just guessing like you. But to me, there's just not a lot to suggest from an evidentiary standpoint that this was um, fixed. To me, from an evidentiary standpoint, what it looks like to me is, at a minimum, Chael Sonnen had ring rust. At a minimum, this is not an ideal weight class for him. At a minimum, if he is clean and he and if he did compete, 
uh, on performance-enhancing drugs for a very long time that there might be some kind of adjustment period that competitively he needs to figure out uh, in terms of you know optimizing what he can and can't do. I, those, to me, seem much more likely than these two being in on it or someone paying Chael to be in on it or, or, or something else. That, I, I can't rule that out. Certainly it's a possibility, but I just don't buy that. To me, it just looked like one guy made some errors and just really didn't, you know, put up the best kind of fight that we know that he can. Hopefully he will next time, and we'll just have to judge him on that. But this is a guy who, in main events, has done some weird things before, and this is part of that long tradition of just ending fights for him via finish in weird, unusual, hard-to-understand ways. And last but not least, let's take a look at the fights that are coming up ahead. Two of them this weekend, if I do recall correctly. Let's see, we've got uh, on Friday, January 27th at the Kansas Star Casino in Mulvane, Kansas. Bellator 171, Melvin Gillard taking on Chidi Kawani. That's a 175-pound catchweight. Think about that for a second. In the co-main event, David Rickles taking on Aaron Darrow. And then A.J. McKee returns to take on Brandon Phillips, women's flyway bout of uh, 125, at Jessica Middleton versus Alice Yager. Uh, and by the way, also in that card, Jared Trice and Tyrell Fortune are going to be uh, continuing their pro campaigns as well. Then on Saturday, the biggest, basically the biggest event this month, really, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's right, a UFC on Fox 23. This takes place at the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado. In the main event, Valentina Shevchenko taking on Juliana Pena. Really looking forward to that. Don Cerrone against Jorge Masvidal. Andre Arlovsky versus Francis Ngannou. Alex Caceres taking on Jason Knight on the prelim card. Nate Marquardt taking on Sam Alvey. Rafael Sunsell versus Aljamain Sterling. That should be fun. Bobby Nash versus Lee Jiang Lang. Luis Henrique Da Silva versus Jordan Johnson. Eric Spicely returns. He has some good submissions against Alessio Di Chirico. Jason Gonzalez versus JC Cottrell. And then on the prelim fight pass, you have Marcus Hogerio de Lima versus Jeremy Kimball. And then Alashanje Pantoja versus Eric Shelton. Remember, that will start pretty early. So let's see. This starts at 8. This will start at, let's see, 737. 6.36, 5.35, yeah, basically like 4 p.m. East Coast time, so an early start for that. Okay, if you have any questions, email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. I always appreciate it when you do. Please give it a thumbs up, share it around, and uh, yeah, what a weird weekend. Always always when Bellator's around, does it, does it get a little bit weird? But I appreciate you guys watching. Tune in next week, and until then, enjoy the fights.